When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a crowd podcast. You're powerless as a football manager. You like to think you're not, but you are. You can be the first one at the ground each day. Buy the players, pick the team, choose the tactics. Boot out the ones you don't like, nurture the ones you do. Talk formations, style, and what the opposition are going to do. But when it actually matters, when the ball's being kicked, when it's win or lose and your job is on the line, well, then you're just a spectator like everyone else. You stand behind the touchline and you shout and you scream, but you can't do anything. Not now. It gets to you every Saturday afternoon on the midweek nights. You want this more than anyone else. You care more. But the control is gone. For 90 minutes, you stand and sit and shout. The pressure on your shoulders, in your chest. The fear, the doubts. That's Jock Steen on this autumn evening. His team, Scotland, up against Wales in Cardiff. They win or draw, they're pretty much through to the World Cup finals. They lose, and they're gone for sure. This is big. 40,000 people in this creaking old stadium, millions watching on the TV live across the country. The pitch bright under the floodlights, the stands heaving. Flags and songs and booze. Half the Scotland team out through injury, the goalie off too. Steen's 62 years old. He's the man who's won it all, has nothing to prove, except he does. Because that's how football works. All the stuff in the past, well, that's gone. Lose here, and that's how a lot of people will remember him. Failing, letting people down, messing up. And they're a goal behind, losing, getting bashed around by the opposition strikers, struggling to find a pattern, a way in, a way back. Everyone respects Jockstein. As a manager, he's been all about power, all about control. He's transformed clubs, done things no manager has ever done before. Now, now he's powerless when it matters more than ever. We need a goal. That's all he can think, even as the sweat's coming off him, as he's struggling to breathe. We need a goal as his chest gets tighter. We need a goal or I'm done for. Somebody get us a goal. To understand Jock, You've got to understand John. 
That's the kid growing up in a little village in Lanarkshire. To understand John, you've got to understand the village. It's not what you see that matters. Not the little streets of terraces, all the pubs down the main road, 20 of them for 3,000 people. Not the fields out back. It's what's underneath, down there, in the dark and the damp and the heat. Coal. A great, fat seam of it. Proper coal, rich, slow-burning, powerful. Better than anywhere else in Scotland, maybe the best in the world. That's why the village is here, and the terraces for the people, and the money for the pubs. You're a boy here, you grow up, you go down the pit. You're a girl, you grow up and marry one of those boys. So that's where John is as he turns 60, going down in the metal cage each morning, from the weak sun into the thick darkness. The doors rattling, the light fading, looking round at the other faces, at his mates, at their dads. You go down there and you work until it's time to come up. You take a sandwich wrapped in paper in your coat pocket, and when you eat it, the rats around your feet looking for theirs. You breathe in the dust and hear the noise of the machines and the shovels and the shouts. John? It's his job to send empty trucks along the tracks to the coalface and unload the full ones that come back. Every day, the same. Dirt on your face and in your eyes, under your nails and thick in your hair. The pit undercuts everything. It gets you when you're down there and you can't leave it behind when you come back up. His old primary school is collapsing, the land beneath it weak and unsafe. Down below, men die in ways that no man should die. In two years, seven of them go. And so you rely on each other and learn about trust and about looking after each other. You learn about enjoying the good times too. You play football at weekends, run about in all that clean air and green grass. You go see the bookies and throw a few pennies on a dream of getting rich and getting out. You drink, mostly. Everyone does. Except John. He never touches a drop. He gambles all right, always will. Horses and the dogs and anything they'll offer. And he plays football well, because he's big and strong for a kid in a village full of miners. Six foot tall, 13 stone. A defender who likes the battle, who gets his nose broken by an older player and just cracks on. Skillful, not so much. One coach says, he's a lanky lad, he's good enough. John says, I've got a left foot and a right knee. And others agree. His right foot's for standing on, not playing football. But he loves the game, because they all do. You see, down in the Welsh mining villages, it's rugby that's the game, the escape. That's where the creativity, the expression comes out. Scotland, it's football. Cheap, available, simple. Our game, not yours. But there's divisions no one talks about. Lines you can't cross. His dad wants him to play for one team. John wants to play for another. His dad's team? They play in red, white and blue. A Protestant team. A unionist team. Like Glasgow Rangers, the big boys. The other team? They're Catholic. Founded by Irish lads coming over years ago, holding on to the old country and the old roots. It's the same across all the towns and cities. You're one or the other, and everyone knows. In this village, there are Catholic pubs and Protestant pubs. On Saturday night, the streets between them are full of fighting. Punches and shouts and fists. John, it's not for him. There's something they say about him round here. 
They say he never takes his jacket off. He's not drinking and he's not scrapping. He's not staying on his side of the line. The girl he meets in the chip shop, she's Catholic. He's Protestant. So they can't be seen walking down Main Street together. They have to go the long way home. They have to keep their heads down. There'll come a point when John's good enough to turn pro, leave the mines behind. His dad wants it to be Rangers. When it's the green and white of Celtic instead, the Catholic team, the bitter rivals, he can't take it in. No one can. John's best mate, he never speaks to him again, refuses to go near him. It doesn't matter that he's escaped the pit, that he's being paid to play football. He's not escaping this. He's gone to the other side. He's decent enough as a player, John. Enjoys some good years. When he retires early with ankle problems, he's made reserve team manager. Does a good job. Does actual coaching. Splits his players into small groups. Gets them working with a ball all the time. Bit weird to some people. Coaches don't coach. Not at this point. They let the players come up with it. They just make them fit. Not Steen. He's doing more. And he thinks he's done enough to get the first team job when it comes up. But they won't give it to him at first because of who they think he is. Where he goes to church. It's only when he goes away and takes over Dunfermline instead that Celtic get it. Dunfermline are a little club, really. And now they're beating Celtic in the Scottish Cup final. He gets the Celtic job a couple of years on. The man they're now calling Jock. The chairman tries to play it down, says a quarter of our managers have now been Protestant. Thing is, there's only been three managers in their history. It's different from the start. The manager before him was a raincoat and pipe man. He did what the board said. Jock's not just watching training. He's in it. Black tracksuit, muddy boots, limping about because of his dodgy ankle but in control. Here's what he writes in the match programme before his first game. He says, I have been handed the reins and I alone do the driving. For the playing side, team picking, tactics, coaching and scouting, I have full responsibility. Spelling it out. Taking over. And this is Jock, now he's in charge. Big and strong. Thick black hair greased back. Broken nose spread a little across his face. Clean-shaven, never a hint of stubble. Jowly under the chin, hard blue eyes, crumpled eyelids. He looks at you and you start worrying. What's he thinking? What does he know? Everything. What his players are doing. What they're drinking. What they're earning. What they're spending. Where they go. Who's there with them. He's the first one there at the ground each morning. Opening the gates at 8 o'clock, answering the phones, looking out at the great open terraces and the green pitch and the white goals. It's not pretty, Celtic Park. One stand they call the jungle. Sloping metal roofs, tenements all around. A view the other way of headstones and tombs in the graveyard next door. 80,000 you can get in for big matches and only 5,000 seats. East end of town, the poor part, where the Irish settled and the priests set up clubs. You stand to watch Celtic, unless you're kneeling and praying. You can see Jock there and you can hear him singing in the corridors and showers, the old tunes from the mining days, shouting in a way that stops everyone dead. Hey, you! He's got eyes in the back of his head. That's how it feels. 
Anything that moves, he knows. Anything that needs doing, he does it. Selects the players, works out the tactics when other managers just let things happen. Analyzes the opposition when usually you just wait for them to turn up. He gets all the age group teams playing the same way, the reserves, the apprentices, the kids. He does strategy stuff with magnetic markers on a board. No one's ever done that. You listen because he only tells you once. If you miss it, that's it. Don't do it on the pitch and you're gone. Power. Control. Now there's another name for him. What the players call him, the reporters. The big man. The big challenge? To catch up with Rangers. It's been 12 years since Celtic won the league. And the big man does it in his first season in charge. He does it playing beautiful football, attacking football. There's something he tells his players, something he knows deep inside. He says, you're here to entertain. He tells them the supporters have been working hard all week, paid a lot to come see them. He says, some have been down the mines all week. This is their relaxation. They come to be entertained. He's up late at night, thinking and plotting. He's up early in the morning, making it all happen. When they win, he's splashing about in the big communal bath with the players, leading the singing, bringing it home. Celtic? It's Jock Steen's club now. There's another challenge for Jock, for his team of local boys, all born within 30 miles of the stadium. There's winning in Scotland, and there's winning in Europe. You win your domestic league, you get into the European Cup. The best from every nation across the continent. No British club's ever won it. No one's even reached the final, because it's hard. Every opponent a champion, every match like a final on its own. It's a beautiful slog, the European Cup. Celtic go to Switzerland, to France, to Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia. Long flights, loud and cold, grim cities, strange stadiums. And they keep winning. They keep entertaining. They get through the quarterfinals with a late, late goal from the captain, Billy McNeil. Big defender, just like John was. They romp the semi. It's in Lisbon, the final. May 1967. And the team they're up against? Well, they're maybe the best of all. Inter Milan have won two of the last three European Cups. They're cool, stylish, they're tanned. Jock's boys are pale, scrawny. They take their false teeth out to play, give them to the keeper to look after. All week, Jock keeps his Scottish lads out of the Portuguese sun, tells them how good they are, builds them up. His team talks a beauty. He says, right lads, you've made history. Go out and enjoy yourselves. And that's it. And they need it, that confidence. Because when they stand in the dark of the tunnel, waiting to go out onto the pitch, they look at the Italians and it's like looking at another species. They're tall, glistening with some kind of oil, some kind of rub, muscles all over them. One of Jock's boys says, Jesus Christ, they look like film stars. Another whispers, aye, they must think we're a pub team. This is the pressure. This is the moment. And Jock's got more ideas, schemes, up late planning, up early making it happen. You walk out that tunnel into the sun and it's so bright it's like coming up a mineshaft. 
The stadium's open on one side, all trees and a little fence and no fans. And then it sweeps round and it's all great marble terraces, a dry moat at the bottom. It's like an amphitheatre, ready for the drama, ready for the kill. Next part of the plan, wind them up. Jock gets his assistants to run out first, sit on the Inter Milan bench. Inter want them to move, say they'll call the police. Celtic, stay where they are. Next bit, Inter are all about defence. They win by stopping the opposition. They sit deep. So, attack them. Everywhere. Inter score first. A penalty, maybe a dive. Jock's on his feet now, screaming at the German referee. Shouts, you're a Nazi bastard! You are conned! All part of the plan. Make the ref feel bad. Make him feel like giving the next tight decision your way. Celtic keep coming forward. Inter keep going back. We'll do this our way. And it comes. The equaliser with half an hour left. Five minutes to go. A scuffed shot. A deflection. 2-1 Celtic. Jock can't watch. No control. No power. Just another spectator. Even though he cares more than anyone else. He walks away back towards the tunnel, back towards the darkness. And then that referee blows his whistle again. And it's madness. Everywhere you look, fans storming over that dry moat, players on their knees, fans tearing at shirts, at shorts, Steen wading in, throwing fans around like sacks of spuds, trying to clear the pitch. There's a panic on. All the false teeth are still in the keeper's cap in the back of his neck. Players running everywhere, swerving the fans, whooping, whistling. Sunshine and shadows. Laughter and tears. A beautiful kind of chaos. And there's Billy McNeil, the captain, lifting the great silver trophy with its curved handles and sparkle and shine. I don't think I've ever felt so proud. That's what Billy says, and that's how Glasgow feels. One big green and white half of it. You pull off something like that, the world notices. Other clubs look at Jock and say, come and do with us what you've done with them. Manchester United, Rangers, his old team, the old Celtic enemy. Rangers say, he's one of ours. Jock says, I can't do that, not now. Celtic keep winning. Championship after championship. They don't buy big players, but they've got kids coming through, so that's okay. There's a lad called Kenny Dalgleish, Rangers supporter. Jock brings him across the divide too. But the pressure's still there. On those Saturday afternoons, on those midweek nights, you win and people expect you to keep winning. You run it all, top to bottom, and you're still powerless when it matters most. And so Jock gets a warning. It's coming up to Christmas and he's breathless, tight in the chest. Ends up in intensive care for 12 days. They say it's an irregular heartbeat, that he's got water on his lungs. They give him pills. They tell him to take it easier. How do you take it easy when you're Jock Steen? He still can't sleep at night. He's still obsessed, still driving across Glasgow at dawn to get the first editions of the newspapers phoning reporters at home before breakfast if they've written something he doesn't like. Still trying to control it all. Still flat out. He gets another warning. 
another sort of free pass. Driving back late one night, he's in a crash, head-on, smashes up his chest, his leg, his head. Lucky to live, they reckon. He gets out of hospital, and he carries on. Limps even more now, but pushes on. You don't complain, not when you've been down the mines. And when he leaves Celtic, stepping away for a younger man, he wants more. He can't leave it there, not a man like Jock. The Scotland job, it's free, and it's his. It's perfect, isn't it? Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. And so we come back to that autumn night in Cardiff. Scotland need a point, win or draw. It weighs on him all summer, that pressure. From May to September, it's all he thinks about, all he gets asked about. He's got a cough that won't go away. People say quietly, he's looking older, more frail. But this is the big man. You don't say it in front of him. You don't doubt him. You don't worry when you find out he stopped taking his pills for this match, that he reckons they slow him down, give him headaches, make him dizzy. You try to ignore the signs that the night before the game, he sits his assistants down and talks them through his entire career, his life gone midnight and he's telling them everything like a confessional, like a retrospective. When he goes to bed to lie there not sleeping, one assistant looks at the other and says, what was all that about? Game day. Jock does an interview with the BBC. He's sweating, pale. It's a mild day, but not so warm it should be pouring off you. 40,000 in the stadium, loads of Scots, blue shirts and yellow flags, piled up on the terraces to the right of the dugouts behind them. Floodlights burning bright, chants and shouts and the smell of booze. In the dressing room, one of Scotland's players can't quite understand what Jock's saying. It's slurry, not quite straight. And the match starts and Wales score early and the pressure squeezes and squeezes. TV cameras on you, photographers crowding round the dugouts, more chances for Wales, scraps for Scotland. At half-time, it's a mess. The goalie says, I've lost a contact lens, I can't carry on. Contact lens? No one even knows he's short-sighted. He's not told Jock because he's scared he'll drop him. So now the sub-goalie's coming on, and Jock looks at him and coughs and clouts him on the back and says, Good luck, you fat bastard. They look gone, Scotland. Finished. Out of the World Cup. And then, nine minutes to go, 
they get a penalty. The striker sticks it away, just. And the clock ticks, and Jock watches, powerless, out of control. He doesn't celebrate the goal. All around, they're jumping and screaming. He sits and sweats, pale as a miner coming up for air. The others can't watch now. Three minutes to go. Two. The ref blows his whistle. It's not over, but Steen thinks it is. Stands up, starts walking to the Wales bench, to their manager. Puts his hand out to shake his. He falls. On his knees, hand to his chest. Down into the warm, wet grass. Grey suit. Dark hair. White face. That's all you see as they carry him to the dressing room. As the final whistle goes, as the players celebrate, out of the floodlights, into the tunnel. From the bright light to the darkness. The TV commentator spots it, but can't work it out. He says, Jockstein being carried off there, maybe Jock's been overcome by it all. He says, it's been a night of fantastic tension. Yellow flags on the terraces, blue shirts dancing on the pitch. No one knows. Big Jock's had a wee turn. That's what the assistant tells the players. Stay on the pitch. They don't know what's happening inside. Jock Steen laid out on a table, doctor by his side. Jock blinking. It's all right, it's only the cough. That's what he says. The doctor gives him an injection, massages his heart, squeezes that big chest, and Jock sighs. It's all right, Doc, he says. I'm feeling a bit better now. And he shuts his eyes. It's the faces that tell the players first. The masseur who comes in crying. The assistant as white as the goalposts, as the paint on the touchline. The silence outside. The assistant looks at the players sitting round the dressing room, covered in mud and sweat and beer. And he says two words. Jock's dead. It's like the whole of Scotland is in mourning that next day, into the World Cup finals and no one cares. Tears and disbelief and black headlines. There's a fan on TV, hung over, yellow flag round his shoulders, hollow eyes, pale face. He says, we'd rather be out of the World Cup and have Big Jock back. The assistant? That's Alex Ferguson. The apprentice, the new dynasty. He doesn't speak on the flight back from Cardiff to Glasgow, doesn't move. And then he gets in his car and just breaks down. Jock's always been there. Minor, player, manager. He is Scottish football. You can't make sense of him being gone. Not now. You just expect to see him on the touchline, on the team coach, at the stadium. Black hair, blue eyes, never a hint of stubble. Maybe he's always there. Kenny Dalgleish, his kid at Celtic, is a superstar now. He'll win the European Cup with Liverpool again and again. He'll manage them. He'll understand the pressure. He'll do pretty much everything. Alex Ferguson, the assistant, he'll manage Scotland at the World Cup finals the next summer. He'll take over Manchester United and do even more. He'll control the place, run it from top to bottom. Championships, trophies, European Cups, all the stuff that Jock did first. His captain for Scotland in those last years? That's Graham Souness. He'll go and manage Rangers. He'll sign a Catholic striker for them, the first one they've ever had. 
he'll sign more. He'll break down the old divide so much that a few years later, they'll have an Italian Catholic for a skipper. That's all jock. All of that. There's something else too. Something Billy McNeil says, his captain at Celtic. The first British man to lift the European Cup. Billy just says, Jock gave me my dreams. That's what he did. The big man. The kid who got out the mines. The manager who took control. That's what football is. An escape. A thrill. A dream. That's what real power is in football. And so that's the story of Jock Steen. It was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Tom Price. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we read The First Game with My Father by Michael Tierney, Jock Steen, The Definitive Biography by Archie McPherson, and Three Kings by Leo Moynihan. We used the archives of the BBC, The Times, The Glasgow Herald, The Daily Express, and The Scotsman. If you've got time for another episode and you're a football fan, scroll down our feed and listen to the story of Justin Fashnew. It's just as tragic today as it ever was. And if you're up to date with this series, go and find Death of a Rockstar, which has episodes about Freddie Mercury, George Michael, and Amy Winehouse. Just search for Death of a Rockstar in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on! Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. 
In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!